You're listening to a Church Doctor production. Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Are you a missionary? (laughs) Welcome to uh, this podcast. I'm convinced the greatest challenge to the declining church, any church, anywhere, at any time, is that we somehow define the mission field as only over there, somewhere, somewhere far away. And when we do that, we train missionaries who go there in what's called missiology, the study of missions, the discipline of reaching unchurched people. But in our home countries, we just assume it's Christian. And we all know that many people aren't Christians. And so we don't train our own pastors in this discipline, this body of knowledge called missiology. And so pastors then can't train their people in missiology. Therefore, the people love the Lord, love their church, may even love their pastor, but don't know how to be missionaries to unchurched people they know in their own social network. So, let's talk about it. Are you a missionary? Would you like to be a missionary? Would you at least stick with me for a while and consider what that would mean? To make it really simple, Jesus himself said, as the Father sent me, I send you. That word send is in the Latin from the Greek of the New Testament. That word send is the word missio, which sounds a lot like missionary, because that's the root word. It's all about being sent. And every day you step out of your house as a believer, you are being sent by Jesus, the King of the universe, to be a missionary to people you meet. And while I'm at it, I want to share with you that this is one of the teachings of the SEND movement, which we've developed at Church Doctor Ministries. And I'm really happy to share it with you. The SEND movement is a series of teachings like this, a number of them, quite a few, that are available through the SEND movement, and it wouldn't matter if a church had only a half a dozen people to start with who wanted to go through this training. It would begin to change the church. If only the staff and the pastor at a church and a handful of people would learn this, I promise you, no, God promises you it would change your church because Jesus wants the lost to be found and brought into the church. So, let's get started. Jesus said, I'm telling you this straight. The Son, that's the Son of Man, can't independently do a thing, only what he sees the Father doing. So, I want you to think about what is the Father doing? What is happening through Christianity in your country, in your city, in your town, in your area? 
What is happening in your church? What is not happening? What does the future look like? Ask this question. Where will your church be in the next 10 to 20 years? Whatever the answer, it will greatly depend on the choices you make today. The choices you personally make and the choices your church makes. So, in this teaching, we're going to focus on you, the individual, as church. Because you are church. You're a part of a church. You are church. And we're going to focus on how you engage with those you meet who are far from God, who are not believers yet. This is an introduction to mission thinking called missiology. Now, some Christians operate as though they have no clue about how to represent Jesus. I heard a story years ago. I just love this story. It's a laughing story. It's a story called Honk If You Love Jesus and about a wonderful religious experience. And here's how it goes. The wife of a southern preacher talked to her Sunday school class about a wonderful religious experience she had just last week. And this is what she said. The other day I went up to the local Christian bookstore where they where I saw a Honk If You Love Jesus bumper sticker. <laughs> Remember those? Yeah. Anyway, a Honk If You Love Jesus bumper sticker. The pastor's wife continues, I was feeling particularly sassy that day because I had just come from a thrilling choir performance at the church. I bought that bumper sticker and I put it on the back bumper of my car. And I'm really glad I did. What followed was truly an uplifting experience. I was stopped at the light of a busy intersection, just lost in thought about the Lord. And I did not notice that the light had changed. It's a good thing someone else loves Jesus, or I may have never noticed that the light had changed. Well, I found out that lots of people love Jesus. Why, the guy behind me started to honk like crazy. And then he leaned out his window and screamed, For the love of God, go, go, Jesus Christ, go. Everyone was honking. I leaned out my window and waved and smiled to all those loving people. And I even honked my horn a few times to share in all the love. <laughs> there must have been a man from Florida back there because I could hear him yelling something about a sunny beach. I saw another guy waving a funny way with only his middle finger stuck in the air. When I asked my teenage son in the back seat what that meant, he said it was nothing, probably the Hawaiian good luck sign or something. Well, I had never met a person from Hawaii, so I leaned out the window and gave him the good luck sign back. <laughs> my, my son burst into laughter. Why, even he was enjoying the love of this religious experience. A couple of people were so caught up in the joy of the moment that they got out of their cars and were walking towards me. 
I bet they wanted to pray or ask what church I attend. But that's when I noticed that the light had changed. I waved one more time to my loving brothers and sisters and drove through the intersection. I was the only car that got across the intersection before the light changed again. I felt kind of bad I had to leave them and all that love we shared. So I slowed the car down, leaned out the window, and gave them all the Hawaiian good luck sign one more time as I drove away. Praise the Lord for such a wonderful experience. Honk if you love Jesus. <laughs> well, that's not the best way to share your faith. Let's look at what Jesus did. Here's the real lesson about effective mission. Do what Jesus did. Jesus engaged people. He did preach and teach to small crowds and even large gatherings. He fed a large group of people by multiplying a small amount of food. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He raised the dead. He taught by telling stories. He spoke with the children by telling more stories. He attended a wedding and turned water into wine. All of these instances have something in common, and it's a lesson for missionaries. If you want to be a missionary to people you already know who are not Christians, get this key teaching. Missionaries call this meeting felt needs. I'm pretty sure that Lazarus, who was dead, when he got raised again, he felt that Jesus met an important felt need, a need that he felt. So you might call what Jesus did a Jesus enterprise. Actually, I wrote a book with that title a few years ago. It's called The Jesus Enterprise. An enterprise is a willingness to undertake new, somewhat risky projects. A Jesus enterprise is to engage new people to introduce them to Jesus who died for them. And so this is what missionaries are taught and this is what missionaries do. So become a missionary with me for a few minutes. Let's say you're a missionary and you get called to reach an unreached people group in northwest Thailand near the River Kwai and the Burmese border, Burma, which is now called Myanmar. What do you do? Would you start by building a church building, put up a sign, and invite everybody to come? Well, that's kind of the way most churches operate and expect people to come who are not yet believers. And I guarantee you, in that part of the world called the mission field, which is everywhere, that would most likely fail, or it would take decades to establish what we might call a beachhead of Christianity. 
So that's not what you would do if you were trained missionary. The first thing you would do is practice what missionaries call ethnology. Ethnology, like ethnic and then ology. Ethnology. Ethnology is a discipline of investigation, diagnosis, and the fine art of listening and learning. Think about that when you're with your unchurched friends. Investigation, diagnosis, and the fine art of listening and learning, even before you share your faith. You see, ethnology is, in so many words, getting in their shoes, learning how people think. It has to do with how do they express joy, what makes them sad. You would learn all about their culture and their history. You would discover what felt needs exist in their lives. A felt need is a need they feel. You would discover that felt needs exist in that people group in Northwest Thailand. You would think, perhaps, why would God allow problems in this world? Did you ever think about that? Why would God allow that? He's a sovereign God. He's got the power to do anything. Why are there hurts? Why are there troubles? Why are there stress issues? Why are there difficulties? Why is there famine? Why is there disease? Why is there a pandemic like COVID? Why are there tragedies? The answer to that is not that God is cruel, which many unbelievers think. The answer is, these things exist because they are challenges that provide an opening for people like you and me, Christians, to share the love of Jesus and build relationships. Those issues still exist because we are in a fallen and sinful world, and they are actually opportunities to share the good news about Jesus. Think about that and all the problems you see and hear about in our world today. When you watch the news and hear about problems in our world, do you see them as opportunities for you to share Jesus? And if you do think that way, you are just beginning to think like a missionary. Keep going. Okay, let's go back to that village in northwest Thailand. Let's say you are there, and you discover that this village has a terrible problem with dysentery. People are sick in great numbers, but they don't know why. So you do a little investigation, and you observe that their wastewater mingles with their drinking water. So, this gives you a divine clue. The way you begin your ministry is not to build a church building 
but to dig a well so they can get clean water. But here's the real key. You don't just dig the well. You ask a few people from the tribe to help you. The village gets clean water. And the people get well. Now you have provided some breakthrough that makes you a person of value to them. You are a hero. You've done something in kindness to touch their lives. Now, in this process, you are with these people that help dig the well. And you develop relationships with those who helped. And among those people who helped dig that well with you, you watched for receptivity. That is, they're open. They'd like to know, why are you here? Why are you doing that? Why are you showing kindness? And that's receptivity. And so you share with those receptive people that are helping you dig that well. You share the good news about Jesus. But that's not all. You continue to teach and to pour your life into them. You disciple them. And that may take months. It may take years to get a handful of people from that tribe that have the depth of what it means to be a Christ follower. And then they, not you, they bring the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to their village. Why does that work better? Because they know the language, they know the culture, and they know their friends and, and neighbors in the village. You equip them to take the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to people they already know in the culture they're already a part of. This is not rocket science, unless you're thinking about the way most churches operate in your own country. Now I want to tell you another story. Come back to America, where I live, and I'll share a story of what actually happened to me right here in the U.S. I was mentoring a young man. I was discipling, and we were having lunch. The waitress took our orders, and God prompted me to ask her what was, go and what, what was going on in her life. I thought maybe I could pray for her when I prayed for the meal. And when I asked her what was going on, she became very quiet, and she said something I never would have expected. She said that her house burned down two weeks earlier, and that their family lost everything. I asked if any of the churches in this small town had provided any help, and she said, no, not one of them. She also went on to say that she and her husband don't belong to a church, but their landlord the person who owned the house that burned down, where they rented, 
their landlord is a member of one of those churches in that town. But no one from dozens of churches had reached out to them. There is a mission moment that died on the vine. That is not mission. In summary, when you think about that true story, at lunch with that waitress, missiology or missions, mission has two parts. Number one, heal a hurt. Number two, when you've developed a relationship, share Jesus. Heal a hurt, share Jesus. It's not rocket science. Now, there are many types of what might be called Jesus enterprises. An effort where you can share Jesus with another person because you've developed a relationship in an area where you're healing a hurt, showing you care, doing something for someone else. Churches have daycares for kids. Some churches have preschools. Some congregations have Christian grade schools. There are some that even have high schools. Many churches have vacation Bible schools. Some churches sponsor upward basketball or upward volleyball or upward soccer, Christian outreach opportunities through sports. Some churches provide musical performances where unchurched people attend and are invited by the members of the church. Some churches have a wellness center. Some churches have food banks where they give out food. And so when you think about a missionary, a Jesus enterprise is kind of simple. It's about being a good Christian neighbor. Luke 10, 30 to 37, gives a story of a good neighbor. It's also called the Good Samaritan. And you probably know this story. It's simple but profound. A man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he encountered some robbers. A priest came by and passed the guy up. A Levite came by and distanced himself. No time, no interest, move on. But a Samaritan, and those Samaritans were despised by the Jews, so there's a little hook to this story for the people that were hearing this for the first time. Maybe also a little hook for those of us who are Christians. A Samaritan came to the rescue. <laughs> yeah, there's no accident that Jesus told that story that way. Here's the deal. Being a missionary is four steps. And each step is important. Number one, meet a need. And if you can't find a need, check your pulse. You might be dead. There are needs almost everywhere among everyone in our society. Meet a need. Heal a hurt. Help a person. Number one, meet a need. Number two, in the process, develop a relationship. Take the time to earn respect. 
Develop that relationship. That's number two. Number three, share Jesus. You don't have to be a preacher. It doesn't have to be a sermon. In fact, it would be better if it wasn't. But you'd be surprised how many Christians do good things for others but don't share Jesus. i got to tell you, my colleague and my boss, Tracy, consulted a church in Michigan, and they had the largest food bank in the whole county. Hundreds of people a month came to this food bank and got food. And this same church was dying. It was declining. It was an aging church, and there was one funeral after another. They were not reaching anybody new. And this food bank took up every room in the church from Monday through Saturday. It was a busy place. But they weren't sharing Jesus. So they were feeding the physical bodies and didn't care a flip about their souls. And they would get the same people back very often, people that were struggling. They were developing relationships and handing out food for people that are going to die without Jesus. So, number three, share Jesus. But that's not all. Number four, and here's where the heavy lifting comes in. Disciple the person. That's just spiritual growth. Help them to grow as a Christian, to become a responsible member of a church. That's what discipleship is all about. You see, these four simple steps all revolve around God's power and how it is leveraged by relationships. Let me tell you another true story. It's a little embarrassing because it's about me, but it's a good example. And this really did happen. And it's a true story. I'd been traveling, consulting churches, and finally made it home. Our kids were young in those days, and I was looking forward to time at the dinner table, which we considered to be sacred. And as we talked across the table, I asked my wife, Janet, how things had gone while I was away. And she indicated that things were fine, except our vacuum cleaner had broken. She said we needed a new vacuum cleaner, and we talked about how we should start looking for one at some time in the future. Remember, we're at the dinner table with the kids, and I'd been gone. Okay, just about that time, a man came to our door and knocked. I got up and went to the door with the intention of quickly, quickly dismissing whoever was interrupting our sacred family time at the dinner table. True story. When I opened the door, there stood a man I had never met. He said, Hi, I'm a door-to-door vacuum cleaner salesman, and I'm selling the very best vacuum cleaner that is available anywhere. It is not sold in stores, but it is the best you can find. All right, so what do you think I did? Hmm? Actually, I told the guy I wasn't interested. I told him we were eating dinner, and I didn't want to talk about it. And I went back to the table after I shut the door, and my wife asked, 
who was that? And I said, oh, it was just a salesman. Honestly, this is a true story. Here's my point. Did we have the need? Absolutely. We just talked about it. But here's the issue. Do people need salvation? Do they need Jesus Christ? Do they need the hope, direction, purpose, and all the other great blessings that life with God gives us? Absolutely. So why didn't I let this man in? Why didn't I talk to him? Why didn't I let him talk to us? Because I didn't know him. He was a stranger. We had no relationship. There was no credibility. However, <laughs> this story, this true story, doesn't end there. About a week later, my wife got together for lunch with one of her best friends, our pastor's wife, Cindy. While eating lunch, Cindy asked my wife how things were going. And Janet said, well, right now I'm in the market for a vacuum cleaner. Do you know of a good brand or what store is best to shop? And Cindy said, you know, it's funny you asked. Just a week ago, we had a man come to the door. I wasn't doing anything at the time, and my husband Paul was at the church working, so I stopped and talked to him at the door. He said he sold the best vacuum cleaner available. So I invited him in and listened to his demonstration, and I was very impressed, Cindy said. She continued, Paul came home at the end of the demonstration, and I talked to him about how impressed I was with his vacuum cleaner. So we decided to buy it. Then Cindy gave the salesman's card to my wife, Janet. Well, the next day, Janet called the number on the card and made an appointment for the man to come that night. When he arrived, guess what? It was the same guy. And I was sitting there when he walked in. Well, <laughs> the bottom line is we were, we were ready and eager to buy. But the big question is this. Why? His product didn't change. Why were things different? The quality was the same vacuum as it was the first time I met him at the door. Our need hadn't changed. We needed a vacuum cleaner the first time I met him, and we still needed it. What was the difference? The difference was Cindy. And this is really important. She was a credible witness, a significant other, someone who has a lot of influence in our lives. Yeah, we bought the vacuum cleaner. You see, the gospel moves best across relationships one-on-one -on -one contacts with people who build relationships with others and then share their own personal story about Jesus, who is the answer to everyone's greatest need. That is how the expansion of God's kingdom takes place. So, 
Ever think of yourself as a missionary? Scripture says that every one of us who is a believer is an ambassador for Christ. We are all missionaries. So let's talk a little bit about training as missionaries. Honestly, missionaries are not always comfortable. Get over it. Missionaries subordinate their preferences to those of the people they are trying to reach. They're willing to put to get, put aside their comfort for the sake of reaching people that are far from God. Do you remember Jesus said to the disciples, when you enter a town and you go door to door and you are received and they offer you something to eat, and here's the key words, eat what is set before you. That's in Luke chapter 10, verse 8. Eat what is set before you. I want you to know I've been all over the world. Every continent except Antarctica. There are no churches in Antarctica, so I haven't been there. All over Africa, all over Asia, all over South America, all over Russia, all over the Far East. And I've eaten, particularly in Africa, I've eaten about everything you'd see in a zoo. You name an animal in a zoo, and I've had it for dinner. Doesn't matter what. I take Jesus' command to his disciples in Luke 10.8 very seriously. And what you literally eat is only a, an example of submitting to other cultures, not taking part in their unbelief system, their lack of belief system, their pagan system, but submitting to them, fitting in with them in a relationship of integrity, not kick the vacuum cleaner guy down the road. And that's called submitting. It's submission. Think about that word, submission. Submission. You subordinate your preferences to the mission that Jesus has given you. It's not all about you and me. It's about the person you're trying to reach for Jesus. Jesus says... Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. Matthew 16, 24. To be honest, sometimes missionaries are persecuted. Sometimes they're rejected. And yes, sometimes they're killed. Yet, and make no mistake, missionaries are committed to the cause of Christ. So how do you see your personal mission on behalf of Jesus? Just a couple more things before we close. This is really powerful. This is just a picture worth a thousand words. And if you've got something you can write with, a pen or a pencil, or some kind of scrap piece of paper or whatever, get it out. And, and I want to share just an amazing concept that they train missionaries to. To understand. And in the first diagram, I'm going to, I'm going to give you three. 
The first one, just put three dots across a page, across the paper, not too far apart, and then right below those put three more dots. There isn't anything enormously important about the dots, but just put the dots. And then around the dots, put a rectangle where the dots are inside the rectangle, okay? And then write the words, closed set, closed set. And, and that's a way of looking at the world. It's, uh, it's a worldview, if you will. And it doesn't lead Christians to much mission. And, and the closed set is that attitude, that worldview, that, yep, we're Christians and we're believers, and there's a line around us, and everybody outside of that line, hey, no hope for those guys. You know, they don't believe. They're going to die and go to hell. That's too bad. That's their own doing. None of my business. That's called a closed set. And that's one worldview that doesn't work very well for being a missionary. And most people get that. But the next one is a little more challenging. Make another diagram and put three dots like I did, like we did before, but no line around them. Just three dots and three dots underneath that. And the designation for that diagram is what we call an open set. So there are some Christians who see the closed set and say, if you don't believe like I do, I'm not too sure about you. The open set is another mistake at the other extreme that whole denominations and churches and many Christians make the same mistake. An open set, it doesn't mean there are no boundaries at all. You know, and, and if, if, if you uh, uh, have a lifestyle that's contrary to the Bible, you know, uh, that's okay. Come in and be a part of our church. And we, we're not going to, you know, embarrass you. Or we're not going to draw, you know, any commitments to what it means to be a Christian. You know, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you hang around, you know, and, and be a part of the church or whatever. And, and there are whole denominations that have made that mistake. Uh, and um, they just uh, go away after a while. They have no backbone of what Jesus teaches. And after a while, people consider that to be wishy-washy. And if you don't know what you believe, then why believe what you do? And it doesn't matter. That's an open set. What most people don't understand is there, a, there is a third model, a third type of a set or understanding of the way the world works, a paradigm, if you will. And it's called a centered set. And you want to write that down, a centered set. And for this diagram, this is pretty easy. Draw a cross, like Jesus died on the cross. Draw a cross. Now, put a lot of small dots all around that cross and at different distances. Some of those dots are far away from that cross. Some of them are a little closer. Some of them are a lot closer. And some are real close. And they're all around, top, sides, bottom, all around. And that is the missionary's worldview and understanding that no matter who you talk to and no matter how far they are from Jesus, they do have a pathway to the cross, 
and that cross and that pathway is the work of the missionary, your work as a Christian, the centered set. And below that cross, you might want to write this verse from the Bible. Jesus said, I, when I'm lifted up, that's talking about being lifted up on the cross, I will draw all people to myself. John 12, 32. Jesus didn't leave out anybody, all people. A huge missionary breakthrough for all of us. And then finally, just one other thing, and then I'll close. What is the mission on the mission field? In mission teaching, this is how they do it. They talk about 1P, 1-P, 2P, 2-P, and 3P. And what that means is as follows. 1P stands for presence, being present. And that's really important. If you want to reach someone for Jesus, you need to be present in their life. You need to really care from the heart, and you need to meet their needs, whatever they are. That helps build credibility. That builds a relationship. That paves the way for Jesus. That's not all. 2P stands for proclamation. You can't be like that church in Michigan with the food giveaway uh, every day and and just give food and and not say something about Jesus. That they won't just absolutely catch Christianity because they're eating what food you gave to them. No, proclamation, proclaiming. So you need to share what God has done in your life, what we call your God stories. And so there's not only being present as part of it, but building on that process, the missionary proclaims, tells a story about what God has done in your life, what Jesus means to you. But that's still not all. There's 3P, which is persuasion. This is a biblical word in the Greek language called pytho in Greek, and it means that your work isn't done until the person becomes a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. And guess who's going to disciple the person the best? Not your pastor, not your church, not a worship service, not a class at church. You, the person who has been present and shared your God stories. Presence, proclamation, persuasion. And then that includes not only do you help them mature as a Christian, but equip them to share their faith. Why is that so important? Because that's when the Christian movement explodes. Because now you've trained another missionary. So, when we talk about it as missionaries, 1P plus 2P plus 3P is a formula. 1P plus 2P plus 3P 
equals your mission. Hey, not my idea. This comes from Jesus. God bless you. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. Check out Kent Hunter's new book, Restoring Civility, Lessons from the Master, available at Amazon.com.